This podcast is brought to you by Hanley's Clean Meals. Hanley's Clean Meals provide you with nutritionally balanced prepped meals that will aid you in all walks of life. Hanley's Clean Meals provide numerous inter-county teams with meals. For more information, visit their website hanleyscleanmeals.ie or follow them on social media. Delighted now to be joined by former Tipperary footballer Brian Fox to look ahead to round two of the Allianz League. Before we do, Brian, um, you've recently retired from Tipperary. How has it been for you uh, watching the lads? I suppose you might not have got to watch them last week, but I suppose not being involved now anymore with Tip. Yeah, Paul, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a big change now, in fairness. Um, I suppose I've been in contact with a few of the boys, all right, and just checking in on how things are going and stuff like that. And no, I actually I didn't see the match on Sunday now against Waterford and Dungarvan, but I was kind of kept glued to Twitter there trying to keep updated with it, like, you know, and um, also, I suppose, you know, you still have that hunger to be involved, but, you know, you, you realise, I suppose, your time is good, <laughs> your time is up, and, you know, I'll take a bit of adjustment, but, you know, it's, it's, it's different definitely being on the outside, all right, looking in. Was it always going to be your last year in 2021, or how did you approach it? Um, hard one to say, I suppose, um, I probably, at the start of the year, I probably, I think I did. I think I said to myself, this will be it. I'm just going to give it one last shot. And I suppose, I suppose a couple of factors in terms of, I could have, got, I could have gone after the end of 2020, but I probably felt I had more in me. Um, but I just knew, knew myself, I suppose, that I, I have a lot going on at home. I'm not getting any younger. And like, there's a lot of new young lads coming on. And I'm not able to keep the same commitment I probably was. So, you know, multitude of factors like you know so i probably said to myself yeah look i'll give this one last go see how the body feels and then at the end of it i was kind of humming and hawing maybe i will stay on and i said look i better make a call and so look, I, I did a call the day in the end but i can't probably new long term all right and when you do go through that retirement it obviously goes through the media somewhat but how is it when you actually have to tell the players and management and everything yeah, um, I'll be honest, I didn't envision, envisage originally saying anything to anyone, but I suppose it's a sign of how far Tip was coming. I had a lot of people just asking me constantly, like, are you going back, are you going back, are you going back? And then I suppose we were in the middle of the club championship and Davy Power rang me and just goes, Brian, do you know what's coming season? And I just said, Davy, I'll stop it right there. <laughs> I just don't think I'll be going back, like, you know. And he said, look, have a think about it. And I said, look, I will, I won't make any huge decisions on it. Like I said that before, I had it kind of fairly made up in my mind. And then just look, I put the message into the group, the group WhatsApp for the lads, the players, and I left it. And in fairness, a lot of lads got, rang me up and just, you know, congratulated me and commiserated with me, like, you know, the same thing. And just, it, it's definitely, I suppose, they were surprised, maybe a few of them, a few of them probably not surprised. You know, the older lads probably appreciate more, you know, when you're at this stage of your career, the different commitments you have, whereas younger lads will always say, Asher, what, what's another year like you know they probably don't have the realization of the equipment it takes because they're out of college or they're just starting off fresh in a new job and they don't have mortgage worries or you know family or whatever like you know the position you played in wing forward you've done a lot of the unforeseen work that like people 
watching wouldn't appreciate that real wing forward role of covering the ground, even creating turnovers. Is that a role you massively enjoyed? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, look, I wouldn't say I was one of the most gifted footballers on our team. Like, we have we have other lads who do their role and you know, we have scores. We have fellas who can break the line. We have fellas who can just get on the ball at the right time, you know, and make stuff happen. And for me, I suppose getting getting involved originally, I was I came in actually my first year was with Jen Evans and I came in as a cornerback like, you know, so I had that kind of defensive mindset, and I suppose he had me in the back for a good while. It was only when Peter Creeden uh, came over came over the team, he said, I think we kind of need you to just be up in the forwards, but have a free reign to get involved in the play a lot more. Do you know, and I, I kind of took that opportunity like I really did enjoy it. I suppose. I haven't played with my club. I would have always played centre back. And so when you're playing centre back in club football, you you do your defensive job, but you're also expected to carry the ball up the pitch. Like so, from that side of it, it did suit me. I suppose you know have that role to kind of drop back when need be. I I, I actually love the considering the side of me, I actually love the all kind of contact element of football. <laughs> you know, a lot of lads would say, "Oh, see out of contact," and I agree with them. But when you're defending, you just want to make sure you're hitting something. You know, uh, so yeah, I I did enjoy that role. I suppose. Fitness is obviously a huge part of that. Like we've seen, even the McHugh from Donegal have played that role. Similarly, is fitness in the, the off season something you're massively focused on? No, not really. Um, I suppose just I, I suppose I'm lucky enough. I suppose I have a natural fitness. I suppose to a degree. Um, always, I suppose during college, I would definitely say my fitness came on leaps and bounds because I actually tried to play Sigerson and Fitz while also playing with Tip. And I suppose I was just trained so much. I was probably at a risk of burnout, but I kind of went the other way. I kind of developed me into, you know, a better athlete in terms of I could sustain, you know, doing long distance running for longer periods. And I, you said as I say, I'm mad, but I actually loved the training. So I didn't mind ever doing the runs. Like, obviously, they were tough and you would be whatever. But I'd always loved the challenge of beating the next lad beside me, you know. So fitness comes from that, like, you know, that, that let's say, motivation to kind of beat the next fella or to be the best or whatever it is like so that was definitely something in my head that when I was training I wanted to be the fastest or the you know the fittest and so on like that and that would give me an advantage over everyone else because I didn't have the skills that they had and the role you played I'm just fascinated because I see some of these wing forwards and I always wonder how they can cover so much ground in the game but when you're not getting the ball and you're going from backs to forwards, is that very frustrating in a game? Um, no, I suppose. I think a good player will always be involved. I think when you're in a, especially in especially inter level, you're never out of the game. So what I mean by that is, while you're not directly involved in the play, you're all, already thinking about, well, the scenarios. Like if we get turned over, am I in a position to defend? If the man is going to isolate, am I in a position to support him? If we kick this ball dead, am I in a position to get up the pitch to force their kick out long so they don't get a stop short, easy one? So, you know, you're always actually involved when you're thinking about it. But obviously, like, if people look in and say, oh, sure, they're not getting on the ball, they're doing all this running off without it. But you, you always have a purpose, like, you know, especially in county level, I think fellas have that awareness of tactically of what's needed of them. And, you know, that's definitely gone up a notch in the last maybe. 10 years, you know, there's no switch off at any time. Do you feel yourself now maybe 
watching on from doping around the league. Do you feel football is in a good place at the moment? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it can be very hard to watch at times, you know. Um, look, you look at all the semi-finals last year, they were great games because of the tension, because of, you know, what's at stake. But at times, you know, the football wasn't brilliant. You know, like you, you look at what Mayo did against Dublin. There were long periods of time against Mayo in the other semi last year where Mayo just held possession, didn't try and attack Dublin at all. You know, that's not a great spectacle, but it's an effective way of winning. And I suppose it's mirrored soccer in terms of like, well, if we have possession, they can't score. And we're very confident to pull in position. You know, and the other team is then saying, well, come break us down. So is it in a good state? To a degree it is. There's probably a few more teams that are coming back into the, like Dublin are obviously maybe a slip and small bit. A few teams are getting up to that standard where there's more teams competitive. And as a result, more teams are competitive. It's more enjoyable to watch when you know your teams who are genuinely contenders as opposed to, well, look, the off chance this team might be this day. That's what I would say. Fair Tipperary is the ultimate high that Munster title uh, win in 2020. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still, had, still get people, you know, just saying congratulations. People haven't met in ages. I was at a school match there last week, and the man just goes to me, and he actually played football in Tipperary back in the late 90s and early 90s. Like, he just said, just haven't met you since. He said, congrats. He said, it was, it was unbelievable. He said, and, he, and he said, like, he cherished it as much as I did, he said, because it meant so much to him. Like, so, yeah, it's definitely my favourite moment. It's definitely something that will live with me. Definitely living the moment in memory now, every part of it, yeah. There was obviously a historic moment to that, but could you take it in, I suppose? Like, it, it was just an unbelievable day of football that day when you consider Tipperary and Cavan both winning and, I suppose, 1920 and everything that was associated with it. Yeah, I've actually said this previous, um, God, like, we, we try to park it, I suppose, as much as possible, not, not get built up in the emotion of, of what had happened in 1920 and, and the centenary celebrations. But I actually watched the... Leinster final the night before and the commemoration that Brendan Gleeson did before the Leinster final yeah. and sure like I would actually be very very close to where the Salahel Beg ambush took place like I, I can literally nearly see it out my window as we speak like you know it's, it's two fields over so I'm very much part of that history in terms of my locality and then obviously like you know the whole emotion probably did get to me a small bit like you know I definitely felt that energy that you didn't want to let anyone down um, the fact that Kevin won, I suppose, it, it just made it all, you know, it just seemed to all fall into place. Like I said, the four semi-finalists were the same as 1920. I remember traveling back up from Cork in the car, listening to that on the radio, and I was like, they're going to do it. I just knew it. I could sense that Kevin were just building and building, and Donegal were just faltering and just making sloppy turnovers and stuff like that. And I said, they've got this. Even though I think they were losing by two or three points at the time, I said, they have this. Everything is associated with it and, and Colin O'Reardon coming back and everything, that was such a huge boost that year. And was there little insights like something you took, I suppose, from Colin playing AFL professionally and everything? Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose, look, I have huge respect for Colin in one sense because he left here as a 19-year-old, went over and like backed himself to say, look, I'm going to play professional sport. And like he's a very humble lad, you know, there's no airs of grace about him. He came back into the squad and it wasn't as if he thought, geez, I deserve to start or whatever. Like he knew he had to earn it, like he worked his arse off when he came in. But just the way he talked and he spoke, like he, you know, we were, I suppose we were building him for a monster final and he just would say the right thing at the right time, you know. 
the fellas were probably losing the head and getting frustrated with each other because we wanted to get this right. He's like, no, let's relax, you know, trust yourself, back yourself. And he might be doing the same thing wrong. He's probably his own harshest critic, like, you know. I remember we kicked three or four shots at the end of the training session one time and he kicked two off his right and two off his left. And he got ticked because he missed the one off the left, like, you know. And these are 40 yards out, like, I mean, I wouldn't even attempt that <laughs> shot like 40 <laughs> yards. But he was sick because he missed one out of four for 40 yards, you know, off his weaker leg. And he had kicked the ball. I, I kicked an over, a round ball in, in six months, like, or well, even whatever longer, six years, I mean, sorry. And just just with that, like with Tipperary at the moment being in Division 4, is there a sense when you kind of look back at key moments in your Tipperary career, say that quarterfinal win against Galway and winning the Munster Championship, is there a sense of just for Tipperary not being able to back it up that year after? Um, I suppose, yeah. Um, I suppose, we, like, well, you could argue in 2016, obviously, we had a fantastic year. We got almost final. We beat Galway in the other quarter after beating Derry. Played very well against Mayo. Um, obviously, didn't win. We lost by five. But I suppose 2017, we would have argued we did kick on to a degree because we, we won division, promotion division three, which is probably the real, um, was a real goal at the start of the year simply because we knew we'd have a target on our back and we wanted to be playing at the higher division and competing against the top teams all the time. Um, I suppose last year, obviously, complete opposite happened. We were in Division 3. We had huge sights on getting promoted, kind of using the Munster final as a springboard to, you know, get back up to Division 2. And they went all, total way, other way. You know, we just couldn't get any momentum. Uh, don't know what. I couldn't put my finger on it myself. You know, we were lost games. We shouldn't have been losing. Um, I think about the Limerick game. Uh, we barely got over Wicklow. And, like, not myself, I'm thinking that game, we must have been 10 points better. But... Just oh, <laughs> one of the most frustrating games I've probably ever been involved in. Got got well bit by Offaly, and then Longford. You know, destroyed us. We couldn't. We didn't have any answers to either Offaly or Longford. That's a, that. That is um, an interesting one. Just with the momentum and everything, not get going that year. And they're in Division Four now. And the majority of your career, you were maybe a Division Three, Division Four player, and that's what's I suppose the counties now that are going to be involved in this uh, Talton Cup. Do you feel this Talton Cup can work? Because it just feels like you had to stream in last year of all the games on GA Go. That's been taken away now, and we're on about trying to give the respect to the Talton Cup. Look, I I be honest. I think something has to come in. Something has to change. I mean, it's very few competitions where. 32 teams are all competing for just that prize. Um, I look at ladies football as a prime example of how successful it can be. You look at Mead, they won the intermediate, they were made a step up, they won the senior. Now, will that happen in men's football? Very unlikely. But at the same time, it was definitely a springboard. You know, no different to what I say about 2016, using that as game momentum for 2017. And like I said, having a relatively, relatively successful year in 2017, um, I think having you know, a tier system does work across the board. Club, club level definitely works temporary. Uh, ladies football, I see the Camogie as well. You know, counties have come up from intermediate to senior and have been very competitive. Water being a prime example there as well, you know. Um, and it's using the fact that they had the right to earn it, you know, and not going out and saying, well, we're going to get hammered by this team every year because we have to play them because we're in a competition with 32 teams. 
and they're at the top four or five and we're in the bottom four or five. And do you think it can work this year? I hope so. Do you know, I like a lot of it is how individual counties will uh, look at it. I know before we won the most final, and this is obviously been touted around the place, we were saying, you know, it would be a positive thing. Like, obviously, we don't want to be in it. <laughs> Same as every other county doesn't want to be in it. They want to be in Samovire. But they know that, but look, if we haven't earned the right to be in Samovire, at least we have a, a realistic ambition of winning a trophy, you know, of putting a run of games together at championship pace. Because while the league is very competitive, you know, there is games where you're trying out new players. There is games where they might mean much that the team might have injuries or might be out of the equation for promotion. And nothing beats the intensity of any championship match. Do you know, if, it doesn't matter if we've played Waterford in the championship compared to, do you know, when we were maybe in Division 3 a, a few years ago, I think we played, um, we played Longford, I think, 20 points that day. Like, do you know, the total difference in intensity. Do you know, crazy intensity in the championship, no matter what, or who you're playing. Was the league one of those competitions you enjoy? Because when you look at the formats, and even when we will get into these fixtures, Division 1, Division 2, Division 3, and Division 4, like, there's so many hard games to even call going into the league this weekend. For sure. I suppose that's why the league is, some, to some people, it's the premier competition, because you are playing teams that are at level. I mean, if you look at last weekend's results, Division 4, I don't think anyone won more than three points. Uh, Division 1, three draws, and obviously our mouse at Dublin. Division 2 was probably the most most wide-open division in terms of there were some bad beatings, but you wouldn't expect that now. And I, I, I was quite surprised by some of the results of Division 2. Division 3, very close again. Do you know? Teams are playing at their level. Do you know, and obviously the odd year you might have a team who beat, beat everyone handily in that division, but it's very, very rare, to be honest. Absolutely, and uh, if we should just look at some of the action before that um, Mayo forward Tommy Conroy uh, during the week in the Sigerson Cup um, done his cruciate in one way it's a massive blow for Mayo but it just shows he was playing in Markovich Park on Sunday and then he was playing again on Tuesday uh, for NUIG Yeah look it's unfortunate I feel sorry for Tommy like he's a fantastic footballer he's like he pace and fella is incredible and you know having pace of football is huge um, I, I actually I feel like inter-county managers probably need to take a step back in that regard I mean the Sigerson and Fitzgibbon Cups are being squeezed into the smallest window possible and to, you know where, where's the solution like you know you're, you're playing club championship up until the end of November for most teams anyway you know as in obviously if you're involved with the Munster Championship and the Leinster Championship in club that's that's, you know, you're still going in early December. So where do you do it? And the county season, like, I would get a phone call in October potentially about going back, like, you know, because it's such a short running, like, you literally have the four weeks of January and whatever you get done before Christmas to get yourself right. And I look at, like, for instance, David Clifford obviously played with UL there um, last night and they won. But I was looking at the, the Kerry footballers that went up and played a McGrath Cup match after playing a college match, like, Who's at fault there? You know, a McGrath Cup match up in Mind of Tubi, over 100 miles away from where you played 
your Sigerson Cup match, which is of, of a higher intensity. Well, I would argue higher intensity because Tipperary had a very experimental panel out that day. Like Kerry put out possibly 10 or 11 under starting 15 for the National League there last weekend in it. Do you know? So, of course, it's going to be injuries because they're not probably being minded right on the flip side. And like I said, there's no structure in place to say, let's give this window two to fit, give this window two to Sigerson so that they are not at risk of burnout. It's that hard to feel for managers, you know, when there's this crossover, and there probably shouldn't be a crossover because when you take, for instance, now the teams in Division 3 push and prove promotion, they can avoid um, the Tanton Cup. While, for instance, as well, like Cavan and Tipperary, provincial champions, probably don't want to be in Division 4. They want to get out of there and they want to have their full strength teams. Oh yeah, like I said, like look, every every manager is looking out for them. They're not like, geez, if I was an intercounty manager, I wouldn't give two fiddlers about the, the college competition. Like, you know, to me, it would be an inconvenience. So either you play the secrecy that's given in uh, November, December, and if, for instance, a player is involved with their club, which it could be if they're in the Leinster Championship or most Championship or whatever, club championship, then you have to say, well, look, I'm going to play with my club. My club comes first. But if they're available, play with Fitzgibbon and then it's done. You can play your Sigurdsson League or Fitzgibbon League after Christmas. There's no crossover because intercounty players never played the Fitzgibbon League or the Sigurdsson League. Absolutely, yeah. And moving on to some of the action this weekend, the game, I suppose, that's going to create the most traction this weekend, uh, Dublin and Kerry interly. Um it was nearly sold out, I think, on Monday, but there's been more tickets released now for the game. And Kerry obviously not getting the result they wanted last weekend. Huge question marks over Dublin. It's it's really creating a lot of excitement now. Yeah, it is. And, Joe, the fact that I suppose Dublin lost, obviously, and Kerry drew, everyone was expecting them both to pick up wins. And they're like, God, if they lose this now, either team loses it. They're actually looking at six, seven position on the lead table. And it's a long way back to get to back to the top, you know, for one or two, because they would obviously have ambition of winning the National League, you know, and setting themselves up nicely for their, their respective provincial championships. Um, wickedly disappointed with Dublin and how they played, regardless of who they were missing, I suppose, just didn't look like the team, I suppose, that we've come to expect, you know, high work rate, like, holding possession, like, the, the, the turnovers, the, the way to Armagh were, were scandalous. No, someone was brilliant Armagh defending. But some of them were, oh, like, I've never seen a Dublin team do it like, do you know. For yourself, when you um, came up against Kerry, obviously a huge challenge and people talk about they're maybe not tested until after they come out against Munster. Was there a belief there when you were playing Kerry that you could turn them over? Yeah, I suppose it's a funny thing. You always go into every game with the mindset that we can win this Regardless of how well they were going last year in Division 1, regardless of how poorly we did in Division 3, you know, your mindset just switches on this. Look, we are the most champions. We are going to have a right crack at this. And if you don't go out every day believing that you're going to beat a team, then why are you going out? Like, you know, you have to have that belief. Um, I suppose after we got relegated from Division 3, we actually trained really, really well. And we prepared as well as we probably could have, considering a few different things, you know, coming into the carry game, we kind of knew we had a very good structure in terms of what we wanted to do against them. Um, we had a few boys injured that came back. Uh, Mikey Quinlan, Robbie, 
weren't 100% Steve O'Brien was carrying a groin injury as well coming into that game you know and obviously they are they're, they're huge players for us all three of them so to have them back in some capacity was a huge bonus um, we were probably disappointed more with our t- attacking play I think defensively we were relatively solid just when we transitioned let's say out of attacking or out of defence and into attack bear once or twice where we really just kind of moved the ball really quickly we were very isolated up top obviously which can happen when you play so defensively and then we we were a bit cumbersome with the ball in hand and then you know we lost the boat we were still always making sure that we were set up at the back I suppose we never wanted to be left ourselves exposed and we've probably had seen from the previous game against Clare that Kerry had played Clare when they had possession just went and left themselves exposed and when they did get turned over Kerry punished them and Kerry went for goals like you know and that was Kerry's mantra definitely last year under Peter Keane was we're going to blitz teams with goals you know they scored how many goals they only scored one against us they had scored something like 22 or 3 in the National League in 7 games they had scored 3 against Clare and they scored 3 against Cork and they should have <laughs> scored a lot more against Tyrone they had all the chances and sure like you know if they had, won, if they had scored those goals they would have been on our champions that's the truth and do you feel just in Munster at the moment it's just the team's or maybe struggling to stay with Kerry for that 70 minutes. Like when you look at the two Cliffords, Shawnee O'Shea and Paul Ganey, Stephen O'Brien, even Darren Moynihan, Killian Spillane, Tony Brosnan. Like there's, there's a huge array of talent up front for Kerry. There is. There is. There's no point saying otherwise. Like, you know, you can set out your stall and put your best man marker on David Clifford and your second best man marker on Paul Ganey. But like, John O'Shea was into the full forward line very easily. Paul Clifford can work in between the two lines, you know. You don't have six backs. I don't think any county has six backs who are all out and out defenders and can just man mark and keep their opposition to scoreless. And even like the comparison of Tyrone in the league when they conceded it was a six goals against Kerry in the league. Yeah, down in Clarny, yeah. You know, and they try to go a bit more progressive and a bit more um, attack minded. And then they learn from that. And they said, look, we're going to stop Body Clifford. We're going to double team David when we get the chance, you know. And Dave was the only fellow who actually stood up that day against Tyrone, really. The rest of them, I suppose, had an off day by their, by their standards, definitely. Um, but, like, it is, it, is, it is mentally challenging to probably lift yourself for a Munster Championship when you know Kerry obviously went half favourites. They've had all these minor teams coming through. They've had a array of attacking talent, like you said. And that's why the league is definitely the primary focus for most counties. In Munster. There's a narrative that they're maybe vulnerable defensively do you still think they are? Or? Yeah, I do. I actually do. Um, I suppose for two reasons. Uh, now, it might change this year, but number one, going on just how they set up for opposition kickouts, they push a lot of bodies forward. So, like, they played with essentially five in the full forward line. So, they push two wing forwards at the full forward line. They push then their two wing backs up to the half forward spots. They still have the two midfielders and they put a third their centre-back into the midfield also. So they're playing essentially a 5-3-3. And so they're basically saying, go along and we'll win the break. And they work really hard on it. But the fact of the matter was, when Tyrone went along, and, they, and in fairness Kerry, they copped on to what Tyrone were doing. Tyrone said, look, we'll go along all day and we'll win our fair share of possession. But we're not going short and trying to work the ball out through you. you know? And when they did win the ball out long, Kerry were totally exposed at the back. Now, I find it hard that Kerry decided to go that because at intercounty level, 
no matter how good a defender you are, you need you need cover. You know, every inter-county forward at this stage has the advantage over inter-county back because of the quality of ball that's going to be delivered because of the movement that they're so used to and, and are coached into, you know. So you do need some sort of cover that kind of help that. And they didn't have it. So I think it was one example. Was I can't remember which. I think it was one of the goals against um, Kerry. They won the breakout. It was a knockdown or whatever. And Tyrone went on to it. And I think it was maybe Derek Hannon's goal. I can't remember fully off the top of my head. And they basically had a free run in towards the goals. You know, as Kerry were so pushed up. And, you know, like I said, defensively, they have some good individual defenders. I would have question mark over who was that and Paddy Taddy's obviously in this year. We've maybe seen a bit of the defending against um, Kildare where they did double up. But as you're saying, their teams still do have this those confidence that if you run at this Kerry defence, that there's going to be chances there. Yeah, well, look, Kerry have gone from one extreme to the next and now they've gone back again because, let's say, when they got bet by Cork, Cork 2020, they played with Clifford up top nearly on his own. Maybe maybe one other player up. So they had a lot of bodies back. They had a defensive system set up. And Cork struggled to break it down. But similarly, because they had so many players back, then they couldn't score themselves because Cork had two players sweeping there in front of Clifford. Then they decided to right, change tack 2021. No, we're going to back ourselves. We've got the forward talent to beat any team in, in the country. And they do. No point to say otherwise. But... um. They definitely left themselves exposed. And I suppose with Paddy Taddy there, I do expect maybe a kind of more more balance to it. Now, he is very defensively minded. He'll work a lot on their, let's say, their tackling and stuff like that. And how to, let's say, minimise space when you don't have possession or when you're not directly involved in the play. But I definitely think they're going to have to find some compromise where they don't have potentially all six forwards being scoring forwards as opposed to then opposite where they only had two forwards up top. Like, you know, like they held at all times last year four forwards up top, which in fairness is not that common in international football anymore. Do you feel it's big for Kerry to set down a statement now this weekend intrally to overturn Dublin? I I think that's the way Jack Connor will definitely look at it, yeah. I think um, he wants to, like he, like he made a statement, a statement of intent for the way he picked the team from the Grey Cup, how, how strong he picked them. He wasn't given lads a run for the sake of him run. He said, look, I'm here to take over. I'm here to win in All Ireland. You're you're expected to be certain, but you better prove it here to me every game, be it a McGrath Cup game, be it the league. And they're looking at Dublin coming down, missing Khan, missing James McCarthy, Paddy Small, Conor Costa probably won't play either. I'm not sure what his full, full story with him is there, you know. And they say these are not the team they want to wear. We have to we have to beat them because if you remember, was it they drew in Turles last year against you no. Know, yeah, they drew in Turles, yeah. They drew in Turles, yeah. They conceded four goals. Am I right? One eight, yeah, eight, I, I four. think you were. Yeah. Dublin were up at the start, were they? Or was it Kerry? I think Kerry were up at the time. Dublin got a one. Oh, yeah, Kerry were up and Dublin came back then at them, yeah. Yeah, and then Kerry ended up getting a penalty at the end to draw a level at it, I think. But it was the goals they conceded, yeah. So I think in their minds, they said, we really do need to lay down a marker and win this, especially when they have essentially a full strength team and Dublin won't. And you mentioned there for Kerry, maybe we mightn't see the four forwards up. And it's something they've done 
in 2020 when they lost to court, they put Breen and Wrigley as a wing forward and it's safe to say the aftermath after that, they were harshly criticised. But is that something that Kerry actually need to deploy? No, they don't. Like, Obioglok, he's a good joke, but he's a defender all day. And what they need is, um, is a fellow, what's your man's name? He plays for Crokes. Michael Burns. Michael Burns. That's what they need. A fella in a mould of Paul Galvin, I think. Because Galvin didn't mind if he didn't score because he was working back. But if he contributed a point or two, that was a bonus. You know? Now, Viola can play football like all the carry footballers. But he wouldn't have the probably wing f- awareness for wing forward as to where to be when he's joining in the attack. You know? I think Viola Burns would be a fella he knows not to drop too deep. He's he very comfortable on the ball. You know? And he can... I, I just see a lot of similarities between him and Galvin. You know, and the way he plays football, and I think that's what Kerry do need. For the Dublin, there's been comparisons of Alex Ferguson uh, when he left that last year with United, and then was David Moyes came and was anyone who's a United supporters knows now is a struggle. Do you actually? Think, I am. I am one. <laughs> yeah, I'm one myself, unfortunately, as well at the moment. But for Dublin, do you think that's actually? A good comparison when you when you see what this team is at the moment. Yeah, I suppose it's not a bad comparison. I think Desi seems to want to put his own stamp on the team in terms of they're definitely playing a different style of football to what they were. I mean, like I said, Iran said about how boring it could be at times as a spectacle. The way Dublin used to play, they used to hold possession over and back, very slow, very methodical, and it spread wide. And then they get a runner once they had you spread so wide that. You know, your defender couldn't cover space that because he was so aware of the the attacker coming up, coming and being, being available. You know, um, they just they just don't have the same. Yeah, they don't seem to have the same uh, flair about them, the same cohesion about them is what they're doing. And that kind of like was like what you say about Mize. Mize seems to have one plan, totally different plan to Ferguson: get the ball into wings, cross it in. <laughs> you know, and. And like that, Desi definitely seems to be different, operate different to Jim Gavin, you know. And it's hard, I suppose, because I think he was on a hiding to nothing. You come in and you replace a five time All Ireland winning manager, and you just stick with the same, and everyone just says, Well, sure, look, Jim Gavin put that in place for him. Or do you try and do something different and still be successful? And look, they won the first All Ireland under Farrell, but with the year that was in it, it was, there was probably huge question marks over it. <laughs> Davy Burke has been on our own podcast, um, former Wicklow manager, and he made a good point, I thought. Some of these players are injured and they won't be playing against Kerry, but then there's question marks over whether some of these players will actually be here for the year. And like, people aren't exactly sure what the story is with Michael Fitzsimons and Johnny Cooper. And like, that's a frustrating place to be in a management trying to build a team not known as player in or out. Yeah, it, it's nearly like the whole Stephen Clarkson in the back of like yeah. Stephen is such was he was so he's so introverted in his ways like that he didn't want to announce it at all that he was retiring essentially. But Daisy trying to be respectful of him didn't say make the decision for him like just you know so that door was always left open and seemed to create this kind of narrative around it that you don't really know what's going on. The same is kind of happening now and Johnny Cooper and Michael Simons like they might rejoin the panel. You know, you you hoping they would for Dublin's sake, I suppose. But if they don't, and they kind of leave it go longer, 
the fellas who are on the you know on the cusp of starting or being or so being on the backs you know saying but sure if they do come back in they have so much they have so much money in the bank in terms of what they've done before for Dublin how am I really going to establish myself they're going to get picked over me you know um, so it is it is definitely a challenge that they very often in my own opinion just either saying look lads are you involved say yes like and, and people will know that like you know I you know Colin Bonner has come out with the hurling and say look Bubbles will be involved but he's not involved at the moment whereas everyone was speculating Jesus his bubble's finished like you know as he stopped playing for Tipperary you know he, he kind of nicked that in the bud and it just gives that certainty to lads hey he will be involved Do you feel it's vital nearly for Dublin to even if they don't get the result to get a performance this weekend because as you mentioned tac- tactically that are a mad game we've seen Kilkenny and Fenton with the ball and like even just dropping balls short into the keeper's hand, turnovers even, hand-passing it to the opposition, and they may be air stuck now between a rot of this. Do we keep the ball? Can we be more expansive? But even tactically, if they can be better on the ball? Um, I think so. I, 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 I expect Kerry to win. I think there's going to have to be a backlash in their game because that was a game they're expected to win. I think Dublin just don't have the same calibre of player at the moment. And like I said, they seem to be kind of caught that they, they're not fully sure of what they're doing themselves. Like, another perfect example of Dublin against Armagh was their shooting was from maybe 40, 35 yards out and they missed a lot of opportunities to drop the last short. Whereas if you watch under the Jim Gavin, you know, thing, they were always shooting from the D, D in, you know, and they were able to create space in that D to get those shots off, like, you know. And it's, it's, it's it might seem like a small thing, but it's huge in terms of their efficiency and, you know, like how much momentum they talk about momentum a lot because it's huge. If you're scoring 70, 80% of your shots, you know, your confidence is up, you've got momentum and I think because you're always scoring, like, you know, the scoreboard is always ticking. But Dublin went a long periods of time without scoring anything. And I suppose I expect Dublin to put huge pressure on Kerry's kickouts because they could have the advantage during midfield. Um, if that's one way of tactically approaching it, that you know they have to dominate Kerry midfield. Kerry missing all the main forwards, or sorry, all the main midfielders. So if they don't dominate there with Brian Fenton, you know, and they ain't other, then they're not really. And I put the um, question to Laz on Monday, but if, if it feels nearly, I suppose, weird to say this in one way, but do you think if Dublin lose this game? that it will be all about survival in Division 1 because if you look at the three draws that'll leave them with um, two defeats so far it's a funny one now because Division 1 a team often gets to six points and gets relegated so yeah they could be looking at it but I suppose I think they have opportunities to, to win games I, I would expect them to beat Kildare um, Monaghan expected to beat Monaghan no, I was very disappointed with Monaghan I thought they should have Bet Tyrone and Tyrone obviously missed a few players and didn't go back to one of the last county back training. And Manahan's use of possession was very poor. So I think there's teams that they're definitely there to capable of beating, you know. And if they just can get focus on performance more so this weekend and then build from there, I think they'll be fine, you know. I think too much too much experience to probably slugging it out and end up fight for it again. You mentioned Monaghan, they're facing um, Mayo at home um, at 2 o'clock in Clonus. Yeah, you mentioned that Monaghan game and 
even when it was nine eight, nine nine, like there was huge opportunities there to really go and win that game. And it, it's probably disappointing in one way that they couldn't get over the line because last year in the league they drew with Tyrone, they lost the Ulster final. Like it really felt like one they could kind of get over in Tyrone. Yeah, and look, that's a that's another element of football. Like, you know, if you have a record of losing to teams, you know, no matter how well you're playing, it's so hard to get that monkey off your back. And we had that for a couple of Cork for years. We just couldn't get over the line. We were playing well and we didn't. And eventually we got over that line. And it's it transformed a team in one sense, you know. But I look at all the major games we've Tyrone and Monaghan in the last few years, like, and it's always been a Tyrone victory by a point or two, you know. And I suppose what was most striking thing for me between Monaghan and Tyrone was Monaghan had probably two guilt edge score chances if they passed the ball yeah. across the square. And to me, that is. You have to do that. Like, and how do you not do that at this level? Do you know, for a simple tapping, yeah, Jack McCarron standing there roaring for a pass, didn't get it. Do you know, after carving up, like I said, a great floor move, carving up the Tyrone defence, which is not an easy thing to do, and then to not finish, and it just feeds into this whole psyche that we just can't seem to get one over on Tyrone. Do you know, and Tyrone then, I think Monaghan went up. I'm, I could be wrong on this, but I think Monaghan went up early in the second half by about two points. And Tyrone just simple things, they just do it so well. They get themselves back in the game. I guess they get a simple free, you know, that they they work work free and then all of a sudden they're back in this game, they're a pint down, they're eleven, they're a pint up. That's just the way they operate. They're they're a phenomenal, you know, machine of a of a team really. For Monaghan, McManus was only introduced, but as the league goes on, you'll expect them to get back into that team anyways because he is, he is their fulcrum in, a, in attack but this feels like one with maybe Mayon obviously not being at full strength they're not going to have Tommy Conroy so for the year now it's expected so I suppose he's not going to play at all but the likes of Khalil O'Connor still have to come back Oshie Mullins still have to come back Maddie Rand's not in the panel you feel like when you're looking at that Mayo team Mullin have to try and get a result here Yes it is the thing about the league like you know Monaghan have another opportunity to put a big scalp against a team who they probably wouldn't have had much success against, you know, in previous years. Um, Mayo are down a lot of bodies, but I suppose Mayo's greatest strength is they have huge depth. And it's definitely always been about the panel with Mayo. You know, they are an art lad from nowhere every year. You know, Mo McLaughlin came out of nowhere now one year. You know, um, what was it? Oh, uh, uh, came back there. It was Matty Sorry? Jason Doherty, is it? Jason Doherty came back like after I spent the last two years or like they just seem to have so many talented footballers, like, you know, such a depth of them. And they all work so hard for the team. You know, they're they're fanatical, like and it doesn't matter what team they put out or who they're missing, every single lad will work really, really hard. Now they might be lacking a bit of quality in game no shades not playing either. But you know, I I never write I could never write off me all that. Just, I always think they're such a hard team to beat that you really have to be get everything right to get to beat them. You played Mayo in uh, 2020 in that semi final, and it's kind of this kind of team now where the kind of new younger players are stepping up the Old McLaughlin's, Rhino Donahue's. Is there one kind of area that coming away from that semi final that you were really impressed with that Mayo team? I suppose. I, I wouldn't have said like, 
maybe this people say I'm I'm I'm, I'm crazy, but I wouldn't have been overall about how we performed on that day. And I say that because of the amount of chances we created. But they were definitely rootless about the goals. I think they were conversion rate was up in ninety percent. Their their tackling was phenomenal. It's something that they all always had. They yeah. backed themselves one on one. They're probably the one team who can back themselves defending one on one. You know, like Lee Keegan, like he's, he's the biggest he's the biggest pop I've ever seen in my life. Off the ball to Aaron and dragging and rooting like, but you have to be nothing but impressed by him because he does that and gets away with it. You know, um, Ocean one and fantastic Paddy Drucken, Joe McLaughlin, these lads just even Stephen Cohen, like you know they they all trusted us to be able to do that defensive job one on one and even their forwards. Like I think one stat we had after the game was I think we got turned over nine times by the Mayo foot forward line. You know, just you know in general throughout the pitch, like wasn't the case of they turned us over in their foot forward line. You know, it's just throughout the pitch, they turned us over nine times. Is that just a aggression in the tackle? Discretion, it's technique, it's it's desire, it's will to get to the tackle. Do you know, like you, you can see a lot of forwards and they make a token gesture to go tackle. Do you know, um, but there's a real hunger and desire to actually, you know, I want to help my teammate out. I want to get there. I'm going to bust myself to get there and make that tackle and make some kind of hit, slow him down or turn him back, get a dispossession. Yeah. Do you expect Monaghan to win this one on Sunday? If, if they if they take their chances better than what they did against Sloan, yeah, I would. Yes, I suppose. Just I think they have to be more ruthless. Like, if you get what opportunity for football, it's so huge now. You have to take You have to go for it. Like, you can't try and take these soft options. It's not a anymore. I think you have to go for it. If they do that, then they probably will win. Then just on um, Irma uh, host Tyrone at home in the Athletic Grounds at 2 o'clock. That's deferred coverage on TG Carrier on Sunday. You would have come up against Irma as well in the past. Um, it, it's great to see in one sense because with the way managers are at the moment, we don't see managers over a team for maybe a long period. But McGinney has been there for a while, but it's safe to say maybe since you've played them, they've really built like even a strong squad. You're looking the last day, like Ushin O'Neill from Cross McGlenn wasn't even in the squad. Yeah, I, I tell you what to know. I'm very impressed with in terms of how they play football and they've been trying to play this way for the last few years. I suppose what counts against them is number one, the pitches in Ulster actually are a lot bit tighter. So they play tighter on yeah. it. It might, be, it might be the same size, but even the athletic rounds in Armagh plays like a tight pitch because the crowd are just in on top of you, you know, and you just kind of seem to stay away from the sideline as a result. Um, whereas, I suppose, if I look at Go Park or some stadium or Park Beef, they play very open. You know, you can you can hold the touchline and not feel like, you know, someone's right beside you. Um, then, they seem to get, like, whenever, like, I suppose when the primary was, was they played was Donegal last year in the semi-final? No. Two, in 2020 in the semi-final. And they seem to get so caught up in this whole like, not being bullied by the other Northern teams that they forget to play the actual good quality football that they're capable of. Like, when they move the ball fast, there's probably no better footballers in Ulster than them. But they seem to go back to to kind of the type of times to go, okay, we'll slow it down if they're slowing it down. Instead of backing themselves. You know, um, so that's obviously hindered their, I think, their progress in Ulster because if you see the record against any team outside of Ulster, it's pretty impressive. 
Breen O'Neill has been that kind of talented footballer, but you really feel if you had a good year, like he can go on to level, like you're nearly talking, not maybe not as good as David Clifford, but pretty close to that because the talent he has is unbelievable. Oh, I definitely have him on a power with David Clifford. Yeah. He's just like he hasn't probably had the opportunity to show at such a high level, or Armagh didn't have as much under underage success as Kerry to show that he's talented. But there's no dispute that like. He was doing it last year for him. Like, I think it was, I can't remember who the player was. In. I want to say Ross Common. Did he kick three or four monster points against Ross Common in the league? Yeah, that um, was a relegation uh, league semi final. Yeah, against Ross Common. I remember that. Yeah, I was up in the yeah. Legends. Yeah, oh, it's it crazy. Like, you know, but that, that's the quality they have. Like, you know, Jack Fallon, uh, Jamar Hall, like, Stephen Campbell can score from anywhere. And, like, he's probably a fellow who's and, and Rory Grugan as well. They're two fellas like have been around a long time at this stage, and they started before McGinley took over. But like their influence is huge now that McGinley's involved. You know, even though you say Reno Neal is the, the linchpin now, he's the main focal attack. Roy Grugan for me does so much for him on both sides of the ball. Defensively, he works really hard. Attacking wise, he pops up and scores all the time and just links play as well. He's very very good footballer now. Yeah, the playmaking role Grugan. Um... Even for one of the goals, and he was doing some some great skills there with his feet, even to set it up. But it's great to see a player like Rugen. It's it's not always something you see that kind of playmaker role in Gaelic football. Just I suppose with the way packed defenses can be. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a hard one. Like I suppose I would have said last year, Paddy Clifford was that kind of playmaker for Kerry. He was winning the ball in the pockets between, let's say, the forty-five. Say the attacking 45 and the defensive 65, so he had that 30 yard space where the teams aren't as set up. So, if you can turn a team over, break, he's able to find a pocket space to win it and have time before the other team are organized enough to be actually look up and, and spray it. And that's what happens, I suppose, so many times against Dublin. And I turned them over, foot pass into space. You had, I think I should remember two instances where Reno Neal ran and won a ball on his own 65. So he must have ran 40 yards to get that kick pass, you know. And Grubin did that a lot too as well. And then he was able to turn and had the time because Dublin had so many bodies pushed up the field, you know. And for Tyrone, there is obviously people were talking about what are they going to be like coming back as All-Ireland champions. They were in a battle the last day and you could even see even by the handbags and stuff like they were... They were up for it, like, and there's still players to come back. Like, you throw Conor McKenna back in. Maddie Donnelly didn't start the last day either. Like, and even people are talking about these five players who have left the squad, but still, it's a overall a strong squad again, and they they look they look hungry. They do look. They they suppose the thing and everyone says about Tyrone. Every game seems to be like a brawl to them. You know. They want to win it. They don't care what to do to win it. I was actually, I suppose in the first half, I was very impressed with how Tyrone played. They were actually letting the ball in early and longer and their forwards were winning the ball inside and they just got some easier scores and then made themselves work a lot harder for scores. Um, to, to have some quality, like I great time for Sludden. Uh, Darren McCurry has kind of re rediscovered some form. I suppose he had a few years where he just struggled to kind of have that consistency in his game. And obviously last year, he had a huge 
a huge year since carrying on this year. Geary obviously played a year last year, which is phenomenal. Like, um, kind of, kind of, I, I, I think their half back line and their backs, their six backs, are phenomenal athletes, and like they get up and support. They probably don't get enough credit for the how good quality footballers they are, as everyone focuses on their physicality and their defensive thing that we've come to associate with them. You mentioned there, Myler and McGeary um, had fantastic years last year. Nearly had a battle in the end for who was going to get football of the year. But Niles Sutton was in and out of that team under Mickey Hart. Under Dewar and Logan, he's looked a totally different player. Yeah, it's look, it's weird. I, 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 I always um, it's hard to judge a player by just how, how they operate as a money manager. I, I, I know plenty of instances of players who under a certain manager to lose form or to lose confidence whatever and then under another manager they seem to blossom they seem to have be given you know they seem to find themselves or find that the role that they're given in this team new, new look team or new tactical element that it, that stands to when they're able to show what they're capable of and I suppose a player for us who probably in the last two years has been unbelievable is Kevin Fahey and Kevin like he's been centre back in 2020-2021 he's been probably our best player consistently over the last few years but he was in and out of the team under the previous management and just couldn't nail down that spot and like you know it was maybe the fate that was shown in him by power the name of centre back you know say hey look you're going to be our centre back we, we've really trust in you maybe that did it I don't know but that's what Sudden has done like you know he seems to just like he scored two points the last day create his chances he diagonal balls into Curry there Really good balls, like you know, because man, still had that extra defender there. But, you know that that's that's a, the confidence he's playing with, like you know, he is a different player. Like. Even the uh, conditions the last day, like we we're talking about some of them fours, like how how tough they were. But the league in general, when you're playing in them conditions, it, it must really be tough at the start. It's it's a it's a huge equalizer. I mean, if you are a team. We're looking at playing a, a team that would be on paper considered better than you, and you see the elements are not great, or the pitch is heavy on the foot. You're like, Yes, this is brilliant, <laughs> you know. Any opportunity, and I'm looking talking as a defender here now, you know, just slow down the opposition a small bit, give yourself an opportunity to get back, get organized. Um, definitely, yeah, it is, it's challenging, like, you know, and like you saw, God, by me there, the wind had a huge effect on that game. And we never recovered from their slow start because of the wind, I suppose. You know, they left themselves too much of a moment to climb. Um, it's definitely something that teams, some teams prepare for it very well for it, and some teams maybe not so prepared for it. In that Tyrone and Armagh game, um, obviously Armagh looking to build on that huge performance against Dublin, uh, Tyrone looking to get their first win. How do you see this one going? I actually think Tyrone will win it, yeah. Um, I just feel that they have this thing over Armagh similar to what they have over Monaghan um, I know Armagh better than the talking about Kenny Cup but like everyone's team was a shadow of what they put out there against Monaghan um, like I said the deadline the ground plays very tight don't think it'll actually suit Armagh playing it there and I think it'll be a very very scrappy affair and that's just typical Ulster you know nearly, nearly the championship you know that's the way they operate it's, it's real you have to earn absolutely everything so I kind of had the title. The final game um, in Division 1 is at half two in Ballybuffet on Sunday. Donegal welcome uh, Kildare. 
Johnny all their team this week that really have been slated in all corners. They look like they were home and host against Mayo in that second half. Paddy McBrearty misses a penalty. Can you still use that as motivation to feel it in today's game when you're being kind of written off? Yeah, I, I think you can. Um, I suppose players, maybe mentally, we all have their own little motivational things, but as a team, and how do you look like look at it as a team and the management team will look at it and say, hey, people are not respecting us. They think that we are not a good enough team to beat, to be in Division 1, to beat these teams, you know. And the reality is, Donegal are definitely a Division 1 team, you know. They probably would have bet Tyrone last year and personal championship with Michael still on the pitch, like, you know. Um, they get, kind of get caught up at times again, similar to Armagh, where they can, they probably can mix it better than Armagh. They can play the aggressive stuff, but they can play football at times. But I know they kind of retreated back into their shell this moment when they had that advantage over Mayo and they just let Mayo get back into that game slowly. Um, like the motivation, they should have no more motivation than this could potentially be a relegation six or four pointer against Scalaire because if they lose Scalaire, they've only got one point and they still have to play Dublin, they still have to play Kerry, you know. Uh, to play Tyrone who again they all have big battles with you know so they have to look at Kildare and say yeah look Kildare are just up from Division 2 we expect to beat them and we're playing on Valley Buffet where the conditions are going to be really really windy no matter what time of year it is it's really really windy up there and Kildare probably won't be used to that Can that happen in games as well though you know you talk there about retreating and holding on to the ball you don't necessarily seem to have it planned out to kind of manage the game but it, it it just comes about at the end of the game I think it's something that all teams talk about now is how to manage when you're winning by a few points um, late in the game and that seems to be the guaranteed thing to do is that they all hold on to possession for a really long time and try and suck the other team out to engage with them out the field and teams will have to because if they don't want the other team to go back over and back take two three minutes at a time but the other side of that is teams have started to realise that, well, look, we need to put that pressure on and we have a plan now for if we're down by three points with five minutes to go, you know, we won't play that sweeper or we'll change tack, we'll go 15 or 15, we'll try and get a foul and we'll try and squeeze up on their free kick and try and force them along and win, a, win it that way, you know? And yes, you can leave yourself exposed, but I often find it actually has more benefits when they actually do throw caution to win and go at it. Teams who hold possession struggle you know that they've they're, what they've been doing good all game was scoring and creating chances and now all of a sudden they've stopped doing that and the players who are inside are still expecting the ball to come in they're not ball is not coming in and all of a sudden they're losing the ball and take, again taking away momentum from themselves you know all the good work they've done is being undone by a cheap turnover because they wouldn't attack and on that game itself um, like talk about Donegal maybe being talked about negatively Kildare really being talked about positively against Kerry it, it was by no means probably an outstanding Kildare performance but just the way they battled back into that game it probably it, it gives Kildare people I suppose real pride of how they battled back in and sneaked a jar at the end Yeah well, look I think Kildare have a lot going from I mean obviously first of all they got promoted Division 2 last year with Jack O'Connor so they're probably using that as motivation instead of playing against Kerry. Second thing, obviously Kerry last week 
down or two midfielders and Kevin came on. He dominated this guy and he's, you know, he's an unbelievable man to catch the ball. You know, if we were going out playing Kildare in the morning, we'd have a plan to keep the ball away from him as much as possible on our kickouts. And then obviously on their own kickouts, we'd be having a plan for how we're going to deal with him and just you know, stop him getting, getting up in the air. Um, also, I suppose, there's a very good field factor in Dunnigan and Kildare at the moment. Glenn Ryan with the ball, the Rainbow, Johnny Dial, like, you know, these are these are probably three or four names that they have that, like, when I was growing up, you know, you knew all these lads, these were the main lads. And to see them involved and all those players growing up saying, oh, these lads are my heroes and are now wanting to bring us to the next level, you know, to, to be competitive in Division 1, to get to an Leinster final, to be really competitive in the Leinster final, you know, potentially be Dublin. That's what they're looking at, I'd say. And it... <laughs> It feels like here, like there's there's two key men on either side for them. Daniel Flynn didn't get in the scoreboard the last day, but really set up a lot of scores. And Michael Murphy is still very key um, for Donegal. Yeah, probably Donegal probably have an overreliance on Murphy at times. You know, they seem to want to go through him all the time. And obviously, he's, he's a phenomenal talent and he can keep up for score for him. But I think they probably overuse him or expect too much of him. At this stage, I think what a fellow is taking to mental. I think uh, Daniel Flynn, oh, like he's like Clifford and he's like what Reid O'Neill's home. He's a new generation coming through, and what he can do is scary and it, it, it frightens the teams, like you know. So, like, while Donny Gordon will obviously be watching him and say, right, he didn't score last day, they'd be saying, God, he needs so much because he can win the ball high, low, he can run out fast and win it, and he'll turn and go at you. They have Paddy Brophy as well, different kind of player, but. Very, very effective now, I must say. Very impressive. We actually played Kildare last year in a challenge match before the league. And the ball they were delivering in and the way the boys were winning it and just going, they, you know, confidence is up about how they took on the player and didn't, they backed themselves every time, like, you know. And that's that's huge. And inside forward, to have that faith in your management to say, hey, go take on those players and, and trust yourself that you can take a shot out, you know. Is there much challenge matches very inter county teams at this? At the start of the year, like, will you just have your seven? <coughs> will you just have your seven games in nine weeks? But I presume between McGrath Cups, you're and everything, you're probably nearly playing challenge matches and McGrath Cups. And um, most teams would have organised challenge matches before the McGrath Cup or whatever at uh, first side of Christmas, and then previously, say obviously there was a bigger run in from the league championship. You definitely organise at least two challenge matches. Do you know? Um, the opportunity probably is not there as much but I, I definitely remember playing a few challenge matches where we got our, our arses handed to us for different teams yeah um, it's just it, it is helpful you know because there's such a change in mentality even from league to championship you know in terms of the pitch gets faster the team will change um, you have to maybe if you're going poorly you'll have to come up with a different set of tactics depending on who you're playing if you're going well you want to try and carry the momentum and you know, you want to probably get challenged match against teams who are better than you to say, hey, look, let's not get away, let's not get away with run of ourselves like here and let's see, see if we test ourselves against a team that's better and it's going to put more pressure on our, our decision-making. Like, you really see challenge matches at club level and they're obviously a lot different to county. You see teams kind of go out from the start and maybe games can fade away, but do you feel there is, at inter-county level, a huge value of challenge matches? It, you know what, it's not too different to club in terms of you will start with your strongest 15 most of the time 
and you might either play, most of them will play like 325s or 420s and you'll rotate lads in and out for the last 220s, you know, for the first 220s or the first 225s or whatever you're doing will definitely be the most competitive for your putting out what you think is close to maybe your starting team. And in that Donegal and uh, Kildare game, who do you expect to win? I actually expect Donegal to win. I think like the motivation they have to kind of prove silence to people. I think playing at home is obviously a huge thing for for uh, Donegal playing up at Melbourne Bay. Kildare will cause problems, I suppose, but they won't have it as much of a platform in the middle of the field, which is what reignited their you know reignited their charge against Kerry. I don't I can't see that happening again Donegal. Then just moving on to have a look at Division 2. Um, obviously huge for some of these teams to, to try and avoid uh, the Talton Cup and some of these teams to try and earn promotion back up to Division 1. The first game is on Saturday. Galway play down at 5. The game is live on BBC Northern Ireland website and GA go as well for a 5 Galway does a lot of change this year. Keane O'Neill's in as coach. Um, huge amount of younger players getting their chance and then for down, without Kilku lads, it's safe to say you feel it's going to be a struggle for down to remain in Division Two this year. Depends. See, the Kilku boys the last time came back very quickly after their All Ireland success. You know, uh, or sorry, they lost uh, Carfe apologies. So after their All Ireland defeat in the club, so something similar could happen. I know we actually played them. At the start of 2020, when that did happen, and we drew him down in Clamel, they must give him 14 minutes. And you could see that the absence of the Kinku boys was sorely felt then. But when they got back, those players, it totally transformed the team, like, you know. Mm. Um, so that can be the effect they have on them. But don't know much about Damas, but now they've lost a few players over the last few years. Uh, Galway, a lot, lot of good, young, talented players. Obviously, have Shane Walsh and Paul Conroy as two key men. I, I just really think. Obviously, Shane Walsh is just that spark and he's, you know, he's like Eric Cantona, I suppose, in terms of he can just turn it on. But Conroy is so consistent that he kind of di- directs things and dictates what goes on in the play and how Gary set up, you know, going forward. So I, I think he's a huge person for them. Um, I probably do expect Gary to win pretty comfortably. Um, Down don't actually have a great record at home. You know, it doesn't act as a real, you know, um, you know, a real safe place for them that they can win constantly. Just then on uh, the rest of the games then are, or no there's a game on Saturday actually between Cork and Clare uh, that's in Porky Cueve at 7 o'clock Cork Brian um, you talked there earlier on the podcast about how maybe it was a struggle for you to get over the line but Everyone looking in from the outside just wants to know, like, you look at the minor under-20 success, you look at the numbers of clubs they have, but ultimately since 2010, since they won that All-Ireland, it's it's been underachievement year after year for them. I suppose, yeah, it's a fair point. Um, I think they've gone through five different managers since that All-Ireland success, and like that doesn't actually work well for them. I suppose I'm disappointed for a few players in Cork. I see Rory Dean is gone. Mark Collins hasn't seemed to be missed this year. Like, there are two fellas that any time I played against them, they cause huge trouble, you know, and they're two fellas I would rate very, very highly. Um, like, they have 
team, like if you're looking through their panel, you're saying there's not a lot of fellas there with a huge amount of experience. Like obviously Brian Hurley has, and he's been there for quite some time. But like it says, volumes for that himself and Tommy here, the giant captain. There's a young lad and an old lad, you know. And I did, I I've kind of expected that they got picked by Rockham, and I was expecting it considering the amount of players they were missing. And like obviously Eva Boyer, another talisman for them, play myself embarrassed. And I Clare have a great record against Cork. I never expect Clare to win it. Do you know, Clare have this great energy about themselves and they back themselves. Colin Collins has done a terrific job in Clare and I know talking to a few players there, they they all have huge respect for Colin and what he's done and why he keeps changing and bringing to the table year after year, like you know, it doesn't get stale. And they get the most out of themselves, do you know, definitely. And I could definitely see him beating Cork, you know, considering who, who Cork have right now. Um and who Clare have. How tough is that when you're talking there about players like the Whites, Rory Dean, unsure about Mark Collins with Luke Connolly as well. How tough is it when players are stepping away and a manager is trying to build something like that? Ultimately, if them players are involved, you're possibly looking at five starters. Oh, yeah. like The, the, the three names you mentioned there to me will be starters all day long as well as the so that's four starters. And you're trying to fill a, a gap with a player, not, not that there's any worse, but doesn't have that experience, doesn't have, you know, the knowledge that built up over time of playing for a number of years, like, you know, and I would look, I would love to see, I suppose, Mark Collins just for example, to be back in Ballard. I just rate him so highly. Um, I think he can do it all. Playing a four line, playing a half four line, can be the link man, can be the fit finisher, he can drop deep and kind of nearly sweep again, even though Cork would never do that. Um, so I think they they really are up against it because they're younger lads are then being asked maybe they're going to ask too much that you need to step up a lot you know to fill that gap to fill that you know so when things get tough or when you know heads sink to have that ex- the presence around and say hey no we got this we know what to do they don't they won't have that unfortunately you mentioned Claire there maximising potential there's a story of Division 2 League but they feel themselves this year like there's a real opportunity to push on to a monster final. Like they probably themselves look back in 2020 and look at what you've done. And when Cork and Kerry are on the other side of the draw, like that definitely has to be giving them huge belief to go into the league this year and push on. Yeah, I suppose like we bet clear obviously in the monster quarter final um, in 2020 and it's a very poor game. I remember I said I started on the side and I was came on after. 25 minutes or so and very error-strewn. They looked like they hadn't come back out after the lockdown with a mind frame of, you know, playing the league and championship. They just didn't seem to be that cohesive, which I was surprised I would have said they would look at this as a huge opportunity. But they really probably just didn't have that belief in that year. I don't know what that is because, to be honest, every time we play here normally in league and championship, they in the league a couple of times. They're always hugely competitive matches. Um, I suppose Gary Brendan, Jimmy Maloney had Jimmy Malone had originally said they weren't playing, and they come back, but they probably weren't as big um, in terms of how, you know, like Gary obviously retired straight afterwards, more or less. They they didn't have as big an impact as probably who had hoped. Whereas we got Liam Casey back, Michael Quinlan back, Reardon back, and they had a huge impact on for us in that league and championship after. The lockdown, it's a 2020, like you know, Mikey was like a new man, you know, he was just 
so much energy. Casey was contributing behind her to play. Colin, like I said, already just his whole aura and what he brought to the team, you know, helped us. Um, so, yeah, I think they were disappointed in 2020. And we're definitely looking at this year saying, if we don't get to a much final, this would be a disaster of a year. And moving on into two other games on Sunday at two o'clock, Offaly came up from um, Division 3 and Derry have come up from Division 3, two teams you would have met last year. They obviously met in the Division 3 league final. Offaly looked good early on the last day against Clare, but they'll be bitterly disappointed with the way they fell out of that game. And with the size meeting last year, you're kind of nearly thinking it could be a similar type of game, um, especially with the way Derry are moving at the moment. Yeah. But look, like I said, I like they are just so competitive and they use their experience and have plenty of experienced players and like Owen Cleary, Keelan Sexton, they probably, you know, they got on top of Offaly and Offaly probably inexperienced, cost them a small bit, but like Offaly have very good footballers and I'm, I was probably expecting a closer game. Um, Derry, I think they'll be in Division 2 or sorry, Division 1 next year. I just, they think they have um, just totally transformed what they're about. Do you know, they've matched this aggressiveness like well saying about in attack and as Mayo, but they're more willing to go forward, you know. And that's what held back Terry um for a few years under Jesus name again, Rory Gallagher. His first two years he was very, very defensively minded. I remember playing him up in twenty twenty before lockdown happened. And we had we ended up with twelve players at one stage. We had two red cards and a black card. <laughs> and I think we scored actually outscored him two points to one in those ten minutes until we got back to thirteen. I think the final score was 10-6 and they were just so negative and like I had a, I had a good friend at the match and I, I drove back down home after the match with him and he said uh, he said like there was literally Derry fellas in the stand saying Should I, they've only 12 now you might actually kick it like you know that that's how negative they were whereas they've totally transformed themselves they've gone through a, a huge rebuilding process where they said look we actually have as good as football as any, anyone else and so we compete if we give ourselves a platform to do that. So huge credit with Rory Gallagher. I think they'll definitely beat Offaly, and um, just based on what we saw last year, based on I suppose Offaly's experience last week, we just didn't, you know, build on their good start, and you know that kind of puts a small bit of a damper on their you know, coming up from Division Three. So you want you want his ground running, and you want to have a good result. Perform okay, like you perform good to start, and then you let it slip. It definitely puts out in the mind. Yeah, that game, um be interesting to see how that one goes. Just for us common and Mead then, um, Mead obviously hosting that game. Um, a great performance by Ross Common last week, but there has to be a reaction in Mead this weekend. Their things are going to get difficult for the managers and players to try and kind of block out that noise. Yeah, it, it, I, like, I, I was surprised. Like, Mead probably should have got promoted last year. I remember they had a real ding-dong battle with Kildare in the promotion semi-final. Um, and then just didn't turn up against Galway and I know there's moderns and Pat's plan said during the week something stupid like you know that the manager should be gone like you know after one game but the reality is like me the very good footballers McAdoo's done a very good job of them you know um, he's brought him from I think from Division 3 up to Division 2 and he got up to Division 1 and went back at him is this his third fourth year Bald? I think this is sixth sixth like you know so it's not that they haven't got good footballers, but one bad result doesn't make them 
bad overnight, like, you know, and some people are very quick to chastise him, but I suppose part of that is how that under-20 situation was handled last year, you know, or uh, yeah. been pulling out after just getting involved because what he perceived to be, you know, um, not being, having access to his, his best players. And how do you see this one going here? I actually think Roscommon are, are totally being written off again. Like, people are looking at Galway and Derry, but I would say Roscommon will have a big part in promotion. If you look at any team, and I saw a thing during the week on Twitter about, oh, your top, team count, your top 10 counties join order, and not one team had Roscommon, and I couldn't get over that because consistently Roscommon are on the verge of promotion to Division 1. You know, or else get promoted and then come back down. You know, they have some serious footballers. Um, they have great attitude to everything. To just, they can be a bit raw and even at times, just you know, they don't care for your reputation. They they back themselves like you know, and I like that about them. Um, and they just maybe don't have many young lads coming through, but there's still plenty of players there doing the business for them. Dangerous Division 3 games, um, Andrew and Limerick, uh, that's half two, up in Andrew on Saturday, Longford host Loud at Sunday at two, Leash host Westmead Sunday at two, and Wicklow host Fermanagh Sunday at two. It's safe to say here, Brian, in Division 3, everyone's kind of looking at Westmead to finish top, and a lot of people are fancying Antrim to go, I suppose, they've went from Division 4 to Division 3, but a lot of people are expecting them to go from Division 3 to Division 2. To be honest, I'd be surprised if Antrim do get promoted. Um, don't see them having that talisman that is going to get them over the line. Or you know, um, I look at let's say Leash, I think Leash are well capable of putting a good challenge to get promoted. I think Limerick as well. Billy uh, is on a huge job in Limerick, and I just remember Shantine Corbett after I retired, and I just said to him, "Let's look for your head," and I was just saying you're building something really sustainable there. Like, you know, I can see the progress year on year in Limerick. And even though they've lost players again, you know, for different reasons, it didn't seem to phase them at all against Longford. Like, you know, they got a great result against Longford. Scored 4-9 on it. You know, so they'll be looking at it as in, you know, we're not that far off between two standards and Limerick would have always conceded themselves as, I suppose, a kind of relatively traditional football county. But they, I suppose they're living in the shadows of hurlers at the moment. And just seems to go unnoticed. But yeah, with me, Leash, uh, Limerick are all there in the mix. If Antrim keep it going, yeah, of course, but I just I don't see it at the moment, to be honest. Just looking at Division 4 then, um, Sligo host Carlo at one on Sunday and London host Waterford as well. Uh, and then the two other games at two o'clock on Sunday, all these games are Sunday. Um, Tipping Leitrim and Cavan on Wexford. Quinlevin has obviously been a blow to leave this Tipperary panel. Where do you feel they're at at the moment, uh, Brian? Well, Tipperary is probably the transition at the moment. I mean, in the last two, three years, you've lost Anna Campbell, myself, Mikey, Philly Austin, and Maloney hasn't committed this year, Park Yorm hasn't committed this year. Do you know, um, over the last Obviously, Lee Casey and Lee McGrath left the last two years as well. Like, you know, Lee Casey wasn't involved last year. That's a hell of a lot of turnaround for a team, which somebody else that were, I suppose, on the starting team. And trying to fill that with, you know, young lads coming through or trying to 
stake their claim. So it probably is a bit of transitional tip. And you'd like to think that they will be competitive in Division 4. I'm not saying they get promoted, but I, I definitely think they'll finish it in the top half. And if they have any realistic ambition of doing that, I suppose they do need a result against Leitrim. Um, I know they'd be very disappointed with last weekend against Waterford, but that's what, there's two things in my mind I stick out. We always struggle to beat Waterford down Travelfield, <laughs> no matter what. I remember I remember one year we played them in, was it the, we played them in the Travelfield in the Championship, I think it was 2016, and we barely won it. Like, one went three, four points in, like the most uncomfortable game I've ever been involved in. <laughs> two, two years later, like with nearly an identical team up in Simple Stadium, we hammered them. And it's just what they do in Don Garvin and Fairfield, even in the league as well. Like we, I can go back to 2010, like 2009, and beating them or getting bit by them. And like, you know, we would say we were going places back then as well. Like, but they were just such a difficult uh, team to beat there. They don't travel as well. Jordan's obviously come in. He's a very experienced manager. I know he played 15 men behind the ball. He played no one up top for the entirety of the game. Just, you know, they turned over. They all ran. So that seems to be the way they're going against teams. Um, Kevin, obviously, basically from, I expect it to be Wexford, but I was very disappointed with Wexford. How did they play against Sligo? I probably expected Wexford to be Sligo. I thought Wexford were building something good there. Um, they have a very good management team. You know, think about the game or all recently retired and kind of would have a very good tactical understanding of the game and what players need to succeed and so they're probably very disappointed against the result against Sligo so I'm expecting a small bit of a pushback after that um, Sligo and Carlo is a funny one because obviously Carlo got bit by London and Sligo had a great result but Nile Carew is over Carlo and sure he knows all the Sligo players so <laughs> he should have them well prepared for that you know so definitely intriguing games and obviously London no one knows what to make in London. Like, you know, they could they could finish it again to two two from two, like the first two games and set them up. Like I said, momentum is a big thing in the league. You know, you get your first winner, winner your belt, and all of a sudden you just think, God, we're going well and we could actually win this second like, game Is it safe to say with tip, if the results don't go the way, there's going to be a narrative straight away of there's an over reliance on Connor Sweeney? Probably, probably, but like Connor's been doing it consistently for I don't know how many years now, like you know. Um, I remember it was 2019, the year we got relegated for Division 2, Mike was out injured and so he definitely did carry us that year. Now, I know we got relegated, but he's just his contribution was phenomenal, like you know. And I suppose we have players who can step in, you know. I think Sean Connor will hopefully be fit this weekend, not 100% sure, but um, he didn't start against Waterford last week and he's. A serious footballer, you know, and he's transformed himself. You know, in the last two years, he's been squad. He's only twenty-one this year. You know, he's got a knife for goal. He the ball high, he the ball low. Very physically strong. You know, probably hasn't got the pace of Mikey, but just offers something different. You know, and he's he's a real scoring threat. I think I might take a bit of the burden off Sweeney as much as Anton. And I suppose you need fellas probably to step up and score from further out as well. Like you need your half forward scoring or midfielder scoring. You know, um. Our half-backs have always been good to score. Bill, Kevin Fahey, Robbie Kiley have always been good to notch a point or two per game. But probably need a good contribution from the half-hour in midfield. Yeah. Like Division 4, like you're even looking at some of the management teams now that are in Division 4 and it's it's, it's impressive some of the players that are playing. It's It just seems that it's 
so tough and it's it's an intriguing division that people are actually interested in given the players and everything and but given like every team wants to get out of here and that's what just makes it so intriguing yeah I always remember the comment like division four is just it's it's, 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 a, it's a bit of really slog hard games like you know you're playing on bad pitches you're traveling all over the country and it's 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 dour football at times you know because so the reason that any team is in Division 4 is they're not playing well. And you know, they have to really re-establish themselves or you know, your confidence is low and they need to try and rebuild confidence. That's not an easy thing to do in Division 4 when you're in a dogfight every week, you know? And that's what it is. Like, it's, oh, it's crazy. Like, like you know, Sligan coming down to beat Wexford, that was a huge shock. Like, you know, that, that's just the type of thing that happens in Division 4 all the time. You'll never see a game where one team is absolutely being allowed out from another team it just doesn't really happen before because they are at that same level and are all probably low on confidence and trying to build you know trying to get a semblance of a team that are going to compete later on in the championship and so on and just finally um, there's been a lot of criticism during the week Brian Cork did you to play uh, two championship games in the summer, uh, the venues have been moved. Obviously, the big one here, Cork, are due to play Kerry. It's been switched to Porky Rin due to the Ed Sheeran concert. A, a lot of people are going mad about this, and do you think they have a right to as well? Yeah, well, look, Cork fought long and hard to get the new stadium in one, number two. When they when they couldn't play in the Porky Reef the first few times, they agreed to go to Fitzgerald Stadium, and that Kerry would play X amount of games in Park Reef, so to rebalance the home and away thing. Now that they have the stadium and it's available, <laughs> you know, they've, they've hired it out for concerts, taking into no consideration that it was going to be peak championship season. And now they're playing in Parky Ring, where I think capacity is 12,000 or, you know, it's not a, a patch on what would be in Parky Reef, like, you know, but does, does it suit Cork for me to play carrying this high pitch? Yeah, I think it does. <laughs> Do you know, so I, I, I couldn't understand how they, they agreed to play clear in the stadium, but their football match in Parky Ring, like, so yeah. So if I was a car person, I'd probably be fuming, but if I was a car football person, I'd be secretly saying to myself, this is probably our best chance of being carried, is keeping them on a tight pitch and making a little battle similar to 2020. And when they went 15 on 15 last year, they got slaughtered. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy one, all right, by Cartier. <laughs> That is all on our uh, previous show uh, this week of round two of the National League. Don't forget this podcast brought to you by Hanley Clean Meals. Make sure to check them out. Some top class meals there. Brian Fox, uh, thanks a million for your time. Appreciate it, Paul.